Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw versus Danny. Back to throw versus Danny. Back to throw versus Danny. Back to throw Hey, what's going on? Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell and Rajah Bell. I feel like I'm shorter today. Yeah. Our director just had me like drop down. I feel like I'm looking up at You're you. Just you already short, have a size bro. advantage You're just on me. Short. I don't like this at all. <laughs> uh, we got David Sampson. He's going to join us in a little bit. Break down the Major League Baseball wild card race. It's getting pretty crazy yeah. in the National League. Did you see your boy Lamar Jackson last Watched night? Watched a little bit. Game was a little bit worrisome. Yep. Let's yeah. break that down. Andrew Luck's return. I told someone after the game, I was like, oh, man, I'm sort of happy to have been sacked by, you know, Suggs and, and you know, and, and a legit, like, you know, sack. I was like, oh, I landed on my right elbow. I was sort of reminiscent of what how I injured my shoulder many, you know, a couple of years ago. And I uh, didn't feel anything, didn't didn't give it a second thought. So uh, I think in, in, I think that's actually a big deal for me, <laughs> you know, and, and, and being able to sort of lose that you know, that that thought bubble if you will that thought cycle all right that's our boy andrew luck when did napoleon dynamite become the starting quarterback for the colts because we got to work on that look like first yeah. of all you're gonna make a comeback from this injury you got to look the part like uncle he's got rico the he's like uncle he's rico there. the top he's got a low that's he would have won look. states yeah he's uh he's definitely a unique cat for sure but this is part of the process of him coming back and hopefully returning to his you know, top 10 status of a, as a quarterback in the NFL. When I watched him play last night, I cringe every time I see him get hit. Yeah. And there was the Terrell Sugg sack, which he took, which, you know, he's talking about, Hey, it was felt good. I love being hit. No, you didn't. No, you <laughs> no, don't. He doesn't. no one does. Um, I still think he has a long way to go. I still think he has to get back to that comfort level where he's comfortable ripping the ball down the field. And we still haven't seen that yet. Yeah. I think, uh, that's a process though. When you've been out that long, um, you know, even in basketball, when you've been out as long as that he's as he's been out, and you're missing years at a time. Um, you got to start to trust things again. Like you, you, mentally, you think you're there, but you get out there and your body just doesn't react like that. I, I thought he had some trust issues last night. Like there there were some times where you know he looked like he was getting a little skittish, and and then there were other times where he held on to it a bit long. Um, generally, though, it looked like he was just a little rusty. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the the balls he threw. Um, he was getting it out quick at times. Some of those were just behind the receiver. Like I heard Booger McFarland say on one that the receiver's got to catch that, but that ball was like behind his helmet. Mm-hmm. You put that out in front, like you kind of throw him open a little bit, which Andrew Luck would do when he's at like top form, right? And you're able to pick up those first downs. So it just looked like a little bit of rust. Yeah, and that's why he's playing this preseason. Which again, I do not. I'm not a fan of that. I don't think you should. Yep. I think that rust is okay. You're going to knock that off in a game. I just don't see any upside from what you saw last night. Is there anything great that you gleaned from that? Probably not. Yes, he can take the hit, but. Overall, I'm with you. I thought I, when I watch him play, and you can relate to this because everybody's played, even pickup hoops. Right. There's always a guy out there who's kind of just annoying, like just gets in your way, always like bangs your knee and like gives you a dead leg because his like knee just. He seems like that type of guy where he just doesn't know how to avoid the big hits. Like he's a big target and he doesn't protect himself very much. And I think he has to adapt, or else we're going to continue to see these injury issues crop up because even when he scrambles and runs. It's just an awkward, unnatural motion for him to slide and protect himself. So right. he leaves himself vulnerable. And when he takes sacks, they just seem to be more impactful than you see Eli Manning just go down. Yeah. Or, you know, other quarterbacks, they see the that. pressure. I know. But I know, but you're smart. right. They, but you're right. Protect themselves. He's got to evolve a little bit in terms of like, you're, you're your new self now. Yeah. Like you're, when you come back from an injury, 
sometimes, not all the time, but when they're like big major injuries, especially uh, like basketball players with knees and lower extremity injuries, and then football players with those shoulders and and necks and 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 stuff like that, you kind of have to reinvent yourself uh, in terms of being able to protect yourself from some of that trauma that could lead to a a, a career ending injury. Our fantasy guys have him projected to throw for thirty six hundred yards, twenty three touchdowns, eighteen interceptions, two hundred eighty three uh, fantasy points. If he has eighteen picks, twenty three touchdowns, eighteen picks. It is not going to be a resounding, hey, welcome back, Andrew Luck, to this top-tier quarterback. It's going to be, when are you going to stop making some of those mistakes? Because throughout his career, he has tried to do too much, which is a tendency when you're in the number one overall pick, you're christened as the next, you know, best thing since John Elway. He has done to try, tried to do too much, and he's got to make better decisions with the football. Because as much as you can blame the rest of the roster, right. he's at a point in his career, even coming off injury, where it has to start looking at him. How much of this is on Andrew Luck? And this is the time to start looking. Well, I'm glad you, you brought that up because I was going to ask, like when you said top 10 and I mean, the talent clearly is there. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, there have been some roster issues around him, but at some point, um, it does have to kind of be on you, right? Like mm-hmm. there are guys that come into, you know, pro sports all the time that have talent that probably you'd say, Hey man, that guy could be better than Michael Jordan or Hey, that guy could be better. Could yep. be. Yeah. You no, know, could be. Yeah. But when does that start to translate to on the field success and the numbers that you would expect from a guy like that? So I'm glad, I'm glad you brought it up. Right. It has to happen soon. Uh, on the other side of the ball, we had, uh, the Ravens gave Lamar Jackson some extended time. I'm worried about your boy. Yeah. Like it was not pretty. Uh, he still has, doesn't have a game where he's completed over 50% of his passes. And yep. I get there's different circumstances where you're out there playing with backups. But it wasn't so much the completion percentage as there were opportunities for passes to be made, and he missed them. And it was erratic. It wasn't like a little bit. There was one where he sailed it really deep over the end zone. There was a third and ten where there was a guy running a corner route, kind of bounced it to him. They weren't close. And to me, it tells me a couple things. He talked about it after the game, said, hey, I wasn't warmed up. And like, all right, it's the third preseason game. You should figure out you need to be ready to go when the right. number's called. Like, that's I didn't love that excuse. To me, it doesn't look like he he's very decisive on where to go with the football. He looks most comfortable once he starts scrambling on the touchdown pass. The progression, he rolled to his right. It was right in front of him. It was the flats not there. The middle tier isn't there, and he went to the back. That was a great play. That's what yeah. you'd like to see. You have the field But a lot him. of the drop-back passes, I just thought he didn't look very comfortable knowing where to go to the football. And that indecision, that doubt, makes you erratic because you're not – you're not thinking how I can just set my feet and rip it to this once you're tentative. And it's the tendency is your mechanics fall apart and you get a little bit more inaccurate. And I think that's what you're seeing. Yeah. I, uh, you know, he's kind of, he's got like a personality conflict going on. Like there's a, like real talk. He's, he's stuck between, I think, trying to be what he thinks he should be, right? Because everyone has said he can't be. And, and he's stuck between that and being who he is. Uh, and to some degree, like the NFL game puts him in that, between that rock and the hard place too, because you could see, although he's got electrifying legs, he don't got Michael Vick legs. I think you know what he I mean? does. Do you? I think he does. I, I didn't, do. I didn't see, like when Michael Vick, maybe that or these defensive linemen and defensive ends, like he was, escaping, faster. he was escaping with like, by a by a fraction of a, right. a like a miss shoestring last right. night. It wasn't like he was, you know, pulling the gap. I mean, widening the gap between him and those guys. But I say that to say that like he feels most comfortable when he's outside the pocket, mm-hmm. when he's moving. They tried to do some stuff scheme wise last night to make him feel comfortable. It was a lot of kind of zone read stuff and like getting him outside the pocket and moving. But he doesn't feel comfortable standing back there and going through that progression. So for now, bro. You're not going to play this year anyway. Right. My thing would be be yourself. 
Like be who you are. Practice, uh, preseason. That's when you're going to make these mistakes. Go ahead and make them. Get him out of the way. Learn. They say that he's the type of kid that will go back and he's doing all the right things in the film session because that's where his growth, you know, mentally needs to take place. Now, clearly, there's some accuracy issues. Yeah. Like, you know, that one where the kid, uh, you know, he kind of settled down in the zone. I think it was a cover two. The guy settled down right there and he just skipped it in there off the ground. Yeah. The one in the back of the end zone. I mean, that's third and 10. You just got to turn over in the red zone. I'm going to forgive it because, like, you don't want to turn the ball over. If you're right. going to miss, miss over his head. But he's got some issues, and I feel like he's stuck between being the quarterback he was at Louisville and being the quarterback that he thinks he needs to be at the NFL level. And the, you've got to find a way to kind of marry those two people and have a nice, happy uh Happy medium easy. there. It ain't easy. Nah, I hear you. An NFL system. I'm worried about him too. I'm yeah. worried about and him too. I think too. overall he'll be fine, but I think, and this is kind of what people expected. It would take a little bit longer, uh, and we'll have to see him continue to develop. Let me ask you about the backup for Indianapolis though, because I like Jacoby Brissett. Yeah, I do too. I, yeah. He should be starting somewhere. Like there, he's better than a lot of other quarterbacks in the league, and that was why there was a report out of Seattle that they offered a second round pick to have him come back up Russell Wilson because their backup situation's bad. He, uh, he should be playing somewhere. Yeah. Maybe, maybe he'll get that opportunity soon. I did a thing here for CBS Sports HQ the other day, and it was kind of the quarterback takeaways from the weekend. Right. And one of mine was the Bills are in trouble at quarterback because of what happened to AJ McCarron. He's, you know, or has an issue with his shoulder. It was a report that it was a fractured collarbone. Then he goes and gets a second opinion. They come back, say it's not. He's going to return. So that's the good news. Josh Allen is going to get the start. He's uh, working with the starters. Looks like for the week three, which is the week three preseason game. That's the dress rehearsal for week one. Right. So if you start week three, most likely, unless you go out there and lay a complete egg, you're going to start week uh, week one of the regular season. And that's one of the reasons I'm worried. I think Josh Allen, kind of like Lamar Jackson, I think he needs more time to get up to speed on the NFL system, his playbook, and kind of the transition from going from Wyoming to playing with the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, another guy with like a lot of like accuracy issues at times. Um Talent, like high ceiling, but a lot of polish needed. And so in that quarterback class where you had – Baker, Josh, um, Sam Darnold, like those two, Lamar and Josh, probably Lamar more than Josh, but they were, they were projects, right? To some degree. Um, the problem in Buffalo is first of all, AJ McCarron, like I, I like him. He's a tough dude. Yeah. Like probably don't get the credit that he deserved for some of that Alabama success and stuff like that. Like I, I get down with the dude who's scrapping and, 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 and vying for his life. But when you have a shoulder injury like that, a collarbone, like it, you misdiagnosed it? Really? Like, Isn't that a really? MRI? It's, a cra- it's either like, a crack or it's not. And so, I'm like, not a doctor, but yeah. it's like if you said it was a fractured collarbone and then you go get an opinion and say it wasn't, like, that seems a little weird. And for a quarterback that's going to wind up landing on said collarbone, like, that's not a good look. And so then you're talking about Nathan Peterman. Right. Who's got like. Five interception, like, that's his middle name because everybody remembers his correct when he got the start. It's like five interceptions. Now, Peterman. what's the coach's name in, in Buffalo again? Dermot, McDerm- John McDermott. I mean, he clearly has a thing for Nathan Peterman. <laughs> But where else do you go? Like, you got it. I mean, Josh Allen is the dude. Like, you've been forced now. All these guys, and and this is where I kind of have to adjust my – I used to feel like they all need a year, and they clearly don't because we've seen more quarterbacks in recent history come in, and they don't play great their rookie year, but they play better than we think they can. And I think that's a testament to guys who are year-round football now. Like, seriously, I was watching your son the other day on, you know, put some Instagram highlights out of him. And I'm like, you know what? He's doing concepts that they're doing in college. Like players, and they're doing past concepts that they're doing at the next level. Like players now are more ready to come in and start as soon as you can. And if you're Bills, I'm sure you're sitting there looking at it saying, hey, we just drafted this guy in the first round. He's going to be our future. We all knew that. 
why delay the process? Why not just get him out there, let him start learning. The faster he can go out there and make those mistakes, the faster we can go ahead and start progressing to where we want him to be. You just touched on something, uh, and I've, I've had this conversation recently a few times. It's about how early these kids start getting information now. Like, I wasn't taught NBA-type basketball concepts until I was in college. Really, I like in high school, I was taught nothing. They gave me the ball and said, score as much as you can. And then, you know, I, I'm teaching fifth, fifth graders now since they were in third grade, pick and roll. Yeah. And then that's NBA. So I didn't learn pick and roll basketball or where, how to properly be spaced and stuff like that. So to the quarterback position, same thing. Like, you know, my son's being trained since he's in the fourth grade uh, on how to read defenses and he's not the only one. There are a lot of them right. out there. So these kids, this generation may be way more prepared to drop them in uh, and be ready to play. Let me ask you a question, though. Let me ask you about these second-year quarterbacks because there's a crop of them that we're kind of trying to yep. figure out what they're going to look like, right, with Mitch Trubisky, uh, Deshaun Watson, uh, Patrick Mahomes. Like, what do you what do, what are your feelings on them? Tear them, if you will. So, Trubisky, everybody's p- pinning Trubisky to have this breakout season because they're trying to compare this Matt Nagy being the new, you know, co- offensive coach who's the quarterback guy. It's an Andy Reid guy, right? Yes. Yeah. So they're trying to, so Mitch Trubisky has been pegged as the next Jared Goff. Like, hey, because Sean McVay was hired with Jared Goff, like there was this trajection. I say hold on because not he doesn't buying. have Todd Gurley in the backfield. With uh, Patrick Mahomes, I think he has more pressure on him than any quarterback, maybe in the NFL outside of Kirk Cousins, because they had a really good quarterback before him and Alex Smith, and they right. said, we want the flashy guy. But I saw some of it when Mahomes made a throw that traveled 68 yards in there. That was like, <laughs> oh, my goodness. This No Hold wonder the they like him. Yeah. He's got a cannon. Deshaun Watson is in this position where I feel like he's got to – he has so similar to what we're talking about. All these young quarterbacks got to learn how to play within the pocket. Yeah, because it is an adjustment. I will say this on all but these guys: he's got no O line. No, no. I he's, mean, he's how be running around? Yeah, for, he's, for I mean, life. how long is he? <laughs> but he's also a really good passer. Yeah, like, I think he can get there. Um, so I think it's going to be a process for him to learn how to pass because the game adjusts to you. And we saw we saw RG three talking to Lamar Jackson every other series last yeah. night. The game, the, he was awesome. He looked like he was on this career path to be a superstar, had an ex- incredible, I think we forget how great his rookie season right. was with the Redskins. Then teams adjust, they catch up, they start continuing the pocket, they force you to, you know, throw from the pocket. They adjust to you. So for me, Deshaun Watson's gonna have to learn that. Uh, Carson Wentz is gonna have to learn that. He's not a second year guy, but he's a, he's a guy that's gonna have to learn that. Sure. All these guys that are mobile dual threat quarterbacks, they have to learn to play from the pocket. That being said, when you look at the game and the rules, the way they're being changed, maybe the mobile quarterback, the dual threat guy, can survive longer than ever before because they're not allowed to get touched. I mean, they're, they're the hits that you're going to have to endure, they've already been reduced. And now you're going to throw in this helmet-to-helmet rule, the Aaron Rodgers rule. If I'm a coach, I'm thinking much more seriously about drafting and implementing a dual threat guy who can run around and make plays because he won't have to take some of those hits. Um, they're going to have to have training staffs on site for refs now because one of them is going to like, one of them is going to throw their elbow out with the amount of flags they're throwing around the field. Like somebody's going to dislocate an elbow. With it's the brutal. Flags. It's ridiculous. The rule, the rule is, the rule is, the NFL is in trouble. I think they should nix the rule. I think it's, I think it's been a, a abject disaster when you hear people say it. They're not going to because of course not. It is safe face. No. I really hope they have a meeting and say, you know what, we're gonna, we're gonna dial it back. We don't have to call it as much, but they're sticking to their guns. They're saying, hey, we have heard all the stuff about CT. We've heard all the complaints. We are going to change the game. And I don't think they're gonna back down from it. Well, again, I talked about it yesterday. It's, it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. 
Yeah. Like you're asking guys to completely change the way they played football um, for 20-some years in a matter of weeks. That's unrealistic. It's not going to happen. Um, NBA was actually pretty good about this. There was always a point of emphasis coming into training camp. They'd send a referee around. He'd sit with you in a classroom during training yep. camp. They'd run the film. They'd show you all of these calls that they were going to make, and they'd do it. In the preseason. Yep. And then when guys would complain or they'd realize it killed the flow of the game or what, whatever the reason was, they'd scale that back during the regular season if they saw that they made a mistake. Uh, but we've talked about the NBA being on the, the NBA is player right. friendly. They get it right in a lot of those instances and sometimes the NFL just won't. When the refs would come in there and they try to go over like pass interference. I mean, these refs got heckled so bad. Oh, I don't no know course. how it wasn't. Oh, good. I used to kill like, them. What are you talking about? Yeah. Wait, they'd like get booed off the stage. <laughs> I can only imagine what the players mean is when they're going over these hits. Like yeah. guys are walking out of the means. I can't play anymore with these rules. I guarantee you that's some of the stuff that went yeah, down. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, the APT, uh, the AP top 25 was released yesterday. We're going to hit on that. And my favorite thing in co- college football happened yesterday at FAU. I'll tell you about it next. Hope. Up on off the bench. Come here. So, Gerald, all right, Mr. Face of the program, all right, we t- say every day, be like Gerald, okay? All right, so finally, okay, we talk about ego getting in the way, all right? Did you go to Pilates yesterday? Yoga. No, sorry. sorry, yoga. Did you go to yoga yesterday? No, no you didn't. <laughs> Why? Because the day before, you start in the scrimmage. Oh, well, it's his birthday, all right? So then I rip him, all right? Then all our meetings are ruined, and everyone's in a bad mood because you don't go to Pilates. And then she comes back here for 30 minutes and leaves you a note. Read it to the team. Uh, you're on scholarship. Hey. <laughs> that is my favorite thing, and they always happen around this time of year, is yeah. when you get the guys who are walk-ons and they earn the scholarship. It is the, I'll like, I'll like tear up in a lot of them. Yeah. Uh, Dan Mullen just did one in Gainesville, gave two guys that were on special teams. And the more creative you are with surprising them, the better and the more better emotional that I get. It's no awesome. doubt. It's awesome. For all those people who say that, you know, they need to pay players, those guys feel like they just got paid. Just got paid. No doubt about um, it. Walk-ons are like, I always thought I was a walk-on. Like that was the mentality. So I always had so much respect for dudes that came out there. You, you know, you're probably not going to play. Um, but you're in there, like in the trenches, doing the thankless work and practice every day. Like we had five seniors my senior year, and we had one walk-on. His name was Lenad Cross. So on senior night, like my gesture was like I gave him my start on senior night, and it meant it meant so much to Lenad. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like those are my favorite players on every team as a walk-on. Absolutely, straight up. They're they're they're, they're the dudes, and you appreciate the work they go through, no doubt, without getting any recognition or any you know help uh, for tuition, books, and board, all that. So really cool to see there. Uh, we all remember. Remember our debut, right? As a professional, you sure. remember your first game. I remember my first game. So the Braves had a guy, Bryce Wilson. He's only 20 years old. He made his debut, and uh, he was having a night on the mound. But when he come up on the base pads, got to run it out, right? He thinks he's got a single. He's, uh. like, he's a pitcher in his defense. <laughs> <laughs> but he gets thrown out on the little, on the little single that's, to right field. Uh, that's a little embarrassing. Like yeah. he's laughing about it, but just you got to hustle. He was probably I mean, out there he, thinking, "I got my hit." Like I'm just. Did he, let's out. see. He, no, he's digging. He's oh no, he's not. He's no, he's not. He's cruising. He was actually getting ready to make a little rounded turn. He's like he's already out there. Where's like the vitriol for him not running that one out? Everybody's <laughs> up in arms when when regular that's everyday true. players don't run it out. Where's like the level of pitchers, disdain for man, that? Pitchers, they're not real athletes, and they get <laughs> they get coddled way too much. Yeah. So so Pass. Uh, yeah, it, it bothers me too. Uh, but he had a pretty good night on the mound, though. He had uh, just three hits and he gave up no runs in five innings. So good for him. But he's definitely going to remember that one uh, more so than anyone. All right, Raj. You know what I can't stand? I can't stand the preseason polls. 
AP Top 25 was released yesterday. Why? Because Florida State? Because no, 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 it has not... nothing to do with it. They're down to like 20 something. Yeah, They're down that's got nothing low. to do with it. Zero to do with it. They're right. You know why it bothers me? Because uh. it's a complete guess. We don't know, and it's different. Like, and it it does. Here's what bothers me. It does impact the perception that you have on these teams throughout the season. Sure. When perception matters in a sport which has the dumbest playoff system as we know it in all of sports. Because when you're at the end of the year and you're looking and you're saying, all right, well, they were ranked, you know, Georgia was ranked number three. Like, they, they've got to be good, right? And they could have a loss or suffer something, and then it comes back and it helps them. It also helps your strength of schedule. Like, let's say LSU, I think they're down to 24, 25. And it happened last year with Bama. Bama's a pretty good example. Last year they played Florida State. First week of the season, Florida State was ranked number three. Florida State loses their quarterback. They end up imploding. And then, you know, it's like, hey, is that a good win? Is that is that a, right. a, a top three win? But Florida State was trash last year. So it is it right. that good of a win? But people still remember they beat a top five team. And you sell it. Like, I hate that part of it. That being said. Good point. The poll itself. I don't have any major issues with it. I thought there was something that was pretty interesting. That if you look at the difference in the coaches poll, which was done before the Urban Meyer news, Ohio State was ranked much higher. In this one, Wisconsin is actually ranked above Ohio State. Right. And I think that's a direct result of Urban Meyer not being the head coach of Ohio State at this minute. Um, I like your idea of not ranking the teams. You do. Well, look, why not? Why, why, why not? Weeks five. Wait, yeah, five, why not five, just six. have no rankings and, and let it be a clean slate and everybody let their eyeballs and, and yep. results do the talking for the first rankings that come out? Because you're right. You, you get a couple, you get a top, 10 win in the, in the, in the first week or two of the season and that team winds up falling out right. of, of the top 25. All they're going to be screaming at the end of the year is you got three top 10 wins if you've beaten two more teams. Right. right? Um, so I kind of like that idea. And in terms of the Urban Meyer situation, what's that? They're, they're talking about the end of this week for that getting cleaned up. Jeez, I hope so. Cause it's taking forever. Who is the young dude, uh, that, that took over? Cause they, Ryan Day. Ryan Day. Yeah. By he's, not, he's been a longtime coordinator. Like he's been around the block. I actually, he was at BC at Boston College. I met him. He's like, an, he's a good guy. But they had two other head coaches on their staff, which is a little bit. It speaks to the problem when you have both of them have issues. Right. Ask Greg Schiano was you know connected to Penn State. Yeah. Kevin Wilson was basically removed from his head coaching position to Indiana because he was abusive to players verbally and physically. Right. That was kind of the word that was out of Indiana. So you couldn't name those. Because every other situation, you would name a, a former head coach the head coach, and they had to go in a different direction. I think Ohio State is going to be way more affected by by this situation uh, than people are letting on that they will, if that makes sense. I, I just think this much distraction is hard for pros. It's hard for pros to even you know navigate their way through that and keep their eye on the prize. For young college kids um, with this many moving parts, I think it's a huge distraction. I also think that um, Wisconsin, although they are good, um, I, we talked about the Big Ten West, is it, that they're in? Yep. Um, not the toughest conference in the world. And yes, they beat the Hurricanes last year, but the Hurricanes were missing like five players when they played in the Orange Bowl. I just don't, I, I know everybody loves them. I don't, I don't love them. Like, I, maybe I don't well, love that style of football. Love. I don't I know why it. you don't love them because they beat your Canes. They whooped up. Yeah, that sucks. Orange Bowl. But, <laughs> all right. Here's why people love them. They've got a Heisman Trophy contending running back, Jonathan Taylor, who was awesome last year as a freshman. Alex Hornibrook in that game, Looked like, all right, he's finally going to establish himself. It was his breakout moment. So you're, right. you're pr- hoping that trend continues. But a lot of it is about the fact they play in the Big Ten West. Because every year it seems like they're just a given. They're going to be in the Big Ten championship game. And you feel like sooner or later, maybe they're going to get over that hump and knock off the team from the East. Right. Because the East is the division that's stacked. I think it's the toughest division in all of college football. Wisconsin does benefit from the schedule. 
So the Big Ten title odds are right there. I mean, Ohio State's still the favorite from Vegas at 6-5. to five. Wisconsin 5-2 to two because of what I just talked about. Now, if you were looking overall title odds, I think it's similar to golf. Like, I never like betting the favorite. Mm. I just don't like the value there. Yep. No surprise, Bama's the favorite. They're at 7-4. to four. Clemson at 4-1 to one to win the title. I don't love those odds. I like some return on my investment, right? Right. I would look down and see some value. I got two teams for you. And I'm going to ask you about your value. Yeah. I think Penn State at 25 to 1 is pretty good value. And I, I actually like their opportunity. They're, most of their games that are tough come at home. Yeah. Um, they've got Wisconsin at home. They've got, and I think their only road game within their division is at Michigan, at Ann Arbor. They get Ohio State at home, Michigan State at home. So their schedule sets up nice. I like Trace McSorley. So I like them as, as a potential, you know, get some return on your investment. Do you like the Canes at 30 to 1? I do like the Canes. I mean, when you're talking about value, yeah. do, I, do I think it's value. the Canes' year to win a national championship? Probably not. Right. I think we're too early in the Mark Rick like uh, plan. Um, I got my questions about Malik Rozier, although from all accounts, so he's had Mark a really Rick, good... I think. Yeah, Everybody. but no one stepped up there. Like the, the young kids haven't stepped up and taken the job. So um, I think it's a little early, but at thirty to one, yeah, I like their odds. I'm with you on the Penn State situation. You know, but college football for me, Danny, like we talk about Alabama all the time. I, I'm a proven entity guy. So when you give me Bama, even if it's seven to four, the value's not there. Yeah. Or you give me a team like Clemson, Clemson, who got like Christian Wilkins decided to come back to school, and you got Kelly Bryant coming back. Like four dudes on their defensive line are going to get drafted. Probably three of them will be in the first round. Correct. That line isn't like you give me that kind of proven product and Dabo and and uh, Nick Saban. I'm probably taking one of those guys, but I do like Miami. At, at, I take. A I tell you why I like the Miami with the value. The ACC is down. Like it's going to be. I'm worried about the ACC having a rough year. Right. Like Clemson and Miami's very suspect. Like. Are they going to be like? How are they going to be able to continue this trend from last year? Right. But that being said, I think Miami could take advantage of a schedule that's favorable to get through LSU. You yeah, know, like that's LSU. a try. That's going to yeah, be a tough sure. one. But if they kind of if they can get past that one, they got uh, Florida State at home, so they they should be able to get to the ACC championship game. And then you get in a one game scenario, most likely versus Clemson. Then you're in the playoff, and bam, there you go. Do you have a connect for the FSU Miami game? <laughs> we'll work. On I that. will sit on the FSU we'll... sideline. I have no problem with that. <laughs> all right, all right. All right. You might get heckled a little right. bit. <laughs> um, one of the big things that comes out, we've talked about this a lot, are quarterback competitions yeah. and how some of them are real, some of them are not real, and a lot of times it's so players won't transfer when they lose out on it. Well, Michigan, and this is a this is unique for Harbaugh. He does not like to announce his starters. He usually likes to take it up to the last minute, you know, right before kickoff. You're watching the game on TV. They came out and announced Shea Patterson. They said, you know what? He's going to be our starter. And I say good for Jim Harbaugh. Maybe he has realized that all that, you know, secrecy and don't tell anybody and don't let the quarterbacks know. Maybe that hasn't been the best option. And now he's saying, you know what? This is our leader. This is our guy. We're going to go with Shea Patterson. Uh, well, two things. First of all, the kid transferred in December. If he wasn't going to be the starting quarterback, why the hell did he come there? Like, right. you know what I mean? Right. Uh, so there had to have been a conversation. Like, th listen, bro, you, you kind of knew the writing was on the wall. You saw what your cupboards looked like in terms of quarterback play and you knew Shea was your guy at some point. It's still relatively late in the game. Like college football starts in a couple weeks. So like, it's not like he, it's not like he was like, you know what I like? And I, I, at some point, like let a guy know he's the guy. Like, look, these guys, if, if, if you don't do your job, they're, they're nipping on your heels. Right. Right. They're right. there. Yeah. But listen, I want you to be, this is your team. And I feel like the quarterback position in some respect is like that. Point guards are like that. You, you have to know. You have to the know. The team has to it's know. Correct. They have to follow. You have to be, you have to lead. And I feel like sometimes with some kids, like, there are personality types that come into play here. Some guys fuel off of that competition and they'll take the bull by the horns and this is my stuff. There are other guys that kind of want this, you know, they want the security of saying, look, that's, it's, it's your, it's yours unless you don't, unless you don't do your job. And then they can go out there and, and perform. Um, 
First time, first time Jim Harbaugh has announced his starter b- before the opener since yeah. 2009 when he had Andrew Luck at Stanford. Like he just it's not in his nature to do it, which I don't get. He had, maybe that's why he hadn't developed any more damn quarterbacks. <laughs> no, because he's had transfer after transfer. I'm looking at a time when when are you when is Harbaugh going to recruit a guy, bring him in, start him, and develop him? Like he, we haven't seen that yet. Wilton Spate was the only guy that was homegrown that didn't work out that great. But he's had all transfers. He's had Jake Rudock. He's had Shea Patterson now. Uh, he had John O'Corn. All these guys come to Harbaugh. And then he hasn't, it hasn't translated into success at the quarterback position yet. Maybe it's Shea Patterson. Vegas odds specifically though for him on the Heisman Trophy, 25 to 1. It's maybe yeah. a good flyer. I like McSorley at 15 to 1. That's my value play for the Heisman Trophy. I like Khalil Tate, but tell me how Jalen Hurts isn't in there and he's not even, there's still an open quarterback competition. There's gotta be a, there's gotta be an odd because we only have him up to about 25 to 1. I would put him probably at 50 to 1, 75 or 1. Yeah. He had, there has to be odds somewhere on him. Because I actually think there's going to be uh, a chance that he comes out there and and actually plays. Because mm-hmm. with two of them might get hurt. Yeah. I mean, that's always a reality in a sport when you play that's pretty rough. And you haven't named a starting quarterback yet. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, so we'll have to see that. All right, we got to get some Major League Baseball talk. Yeah. we got our boy uh, David. He's fired up. He's like the sixth man of this yeah, show. Yeah, he really is. Uh, we're going to get him to break down some of the uh, NL wild card race. That's coming up next on Off the Bench. Welcome back to Off the Bench with Kennell and Bell. Let's bring in our sixth man, our guy, David Sampson. Hey, man, good morning. Hey, good morning. How you guys doing? Fantastic. Let's look at the National League because this uh, race in every division has seemed pretty you know, close. They're coming down to the wire. The wild card race is insane. You have seven teams potentially you know, vying for four spot, playoff spots. How do you see this National League race shaking out? Well, it's unbelievable. We're almost in September. We got five teams within two games. And what's better than having a 163rd game, right? You work all season long. You play 162 games in 183 days. And then you have to play an extra game and then an extra game for the wild card. And then you first have to go play a five-game series. It's crazy. But I love right now, I love the position St. Louis and Colorado are in because they're hot. And what you need to do in September, whoever is hot, that's who's going to win. I know you're looking for in-depth expert analysis, but the fact is streaks <laughs> are what we look for. And right now, St. Louis and Colorado are the ones streaking. Uh, so, David, Kenley Jansen came back last night for the Dodgers after, you know, the health scare. Um, came in the game, like he figured to boost their bullpen. He came in, it was tied three apiece. He left with, with uh, two runs and a loss. But if he's able to get right, uh, what does that mean for the Dodgers – uh, in terms of, you know, their bullpen down the stretch and, and, you know, vying for the wild card and for the division. I mean, Raj, it's obviously necessary for Jansen to be back. Their bullpen without him had over a five ERA. Just dreadful. They moved some starters into the bullpen like a stripling and then they got hurt. It's just been a nightmare. They bring Jansen back and, as a front office guy, the one thing we didn't want to see first game back off the DL was a tie game at home in the ninth inning because then we know we're going to have to bring in the closer who's just coming back. And we know there's a different mentality when our closer comes in in a tie game versus a safe situation. It was just a confluence of unfortunate events. And, of course, Jansen's two pitches to Gurko and to Carpenter were just meatballs, totally flat right down the middle, and uh, the Cards knew what to do with them. It's just it was bad luck for Jansen and for the Dodgers uh, uh, to, to be in that situation. 
David, I remember we were doing a show. You were filling in for Raj, and we were talking about the Cardinals. And you called yourself an expert on firing managers when they fired Mike Matheny. Um, it actually looks like it might have done some good as they're 22-11 and 11 since they'd fire them. What do you see as the biggest difference? Uh, their players are playing better. I'd like to tell you it's because of the new manager, and they're re-motivated and refocused and re-energized. And the manager came in and used this magic elixir to get the players going. But that's a complete crock of crap. What really happened is they brought in a new manager. The players said, my God, we cost Mike Matheny his job. They looked themselves in the mirror, and they said, maybe we should start playing better, and maybe we'll win some games. And then it just builds. And I've seen it happen. I've been in clubhouses. You guys have, too. When you start winning games, all of a sudden the chemistry is better. You come to work a little earlier. You're a little more focused. You work a little harder. We'd like to believe in the front office that's not the case, that we're all focused from day one to to the end of the season, but it's not the case. Awesome. Hey, thanks for hopping on with us. I'm going to hit you up for that. uh, I need a half marathon training plan. I'm going to hit you up. You're the expert on that. Hey, I'm in. We'll do one together. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's pressure. I don't know if I'm going to go that far. I just want the training plan. All right. Uh, appreciate it, David. As always, good stuff there. Uh, let's get it over to Hannah for see what's going on with Socially Relevant. She is dialed in more so than anybody. Or so to me, for sure. <laughs> I don't know, Raja, not so fast. First things, first things first, we're talking about your Miami Hurricanes. So apparently they are making waves with their newest uniform. It has something special about it. But it's not just the look. So check this out. Adidas has partnered with Parley for the Oceans to create new uniforms for the Canes that are made from plastic waste materials from the ocean. The jerseys are supposed to serve as a call to end plastic pollution in oceans. They'll be worn for the Canes opener against... Oh, they'll be... They'll be... Oh, sorry, they'll be LSU worn for the Canes yeah. opener against LSU in Arlington, Texas. You can even buy the uniforms. All these proceeds will fund educational research for their marine and science school in Miami. Guys, I have to say these aren't so bad. They're not trash. They are Those trash. Are trash. They are they trash. Are trash. <laughs> you couldn't wait. I couldn't wait. Like, that's so corny. They it's so corny. But you, I thought you made a really good point, though, because you said I went to look at them and they look kind of the same. But that was my the beat. The shoes are dope, though. The shoes are dope. Um, There's a little bit of blue. Like, I thought I saw some blue. Because that's I what the Parley the... does, like in Adidas. Because I remember, yeah. I, I originally thought they were Paisley. Like, because yeah. I bought some Adidas that I thought, but it's actually this specific model is designed from trash around the world right actually the shoes i like the best the uniforms look the same to me but why not change the uni up a little (laughs) bit like if you're gonna do something cool why go with the basic and i love the canes orange and white but i don't like dude give me a little something different (laughs) all right (laughs) (laughs) all right guys switching gears now if there was a bowl game named after your favorite snack what would it be that's easy, bro. The Tasty Cakes Bowl. <laughs> Tasty uh, Cakes, bro. All right, so I've had a thing recently. Like, it would have always been chips and salsa, so I would have gone with Tostitos. Yeah. It already was, the Tostitos Fiesta Bowl. But recently I've had a run with sour gummy bears. Really? So I don't know if, like, you could have the sour gummy bear bowl. Sour? You like Sour Patch? Yeah, I'd like sour, like sour Patch. patch All the sour, sour stuff, I like them. Yeah, but my wife always catches me. I have to stash it in my car and stuff. Yeah. Now my kids figure out they go in the car, in the garage, and steal my candy. Steal They steal my stuff, <laughs> which candy. drives my wife insane. I'm a chip guy. I'm oh, I'm a chip big chip guy, too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a chip I'd go with. What Furs. about you, Hannah? What would you go with? Guys, there's a new bowl name in town. This is what I was trying to get to. It's replacing the <laughs> Cactus Bowl. So the annual game played between Pac-12 and Big 12 teams in Chase Field in Phoenix, Arizona, is now called the Cheez-It Bowl. And guys... So far, the praise over this name change has been nonstop. All of these Cheez-It lovers are coming out of the woodworks now. And people are super impressed with this logo, too. I just have to say, a lot of people were thinking that 
When they heard the word Cheez-It Bowl, it was actually just a big bowl of Cheez-Its. And they were disappointed to hear that this was actually a new bowl name. So, guys, I don't know how you feel about this one. I'm on board with this. I like Cheez-Its, especially better than the Cactus Bowl. And they like a lot. Of, I could do a whole segment on chips and stuff. Yeah. They actually have so many more flavors now to offer. Like, they do spicy. They do, do like. They really? Oh, yeah. They've, they're they've in the game. Out. Huh? It's not just no longer Cheez-Its. Yeah. They got all kind of flavors out there. Good for them. Uh, what's the swag bag going to look like at that at that? That's what I want. All right, guys, we're going back to Miami now, and this time it's not so pleasant. So Rams defensive tackle, Ladamakin Sue, was released by the Dolphins back in March, but it looks like he might be a little bit bitter about it all. So the NFL posted a video of Christian McCaffrey's 71-yard touchdown in the Panthers' preseason win against the Dolphins, and Sue commented, quote, Right up in the gut, LOL. So, Damian Raja, if you guys look at this cup, he's not wrong. McCaffrey carved right through the middle of the Dolphins' defensive line. Is this too much shade here or not enough? <laughs> From him, yes. No. Where were you shoring up the middle of that defense? Boy, he took a couple years off because he got paid. That boy was getting double teamed every game since he became a Miami <laughs> Dolphin, bro. Like, he, he was getting down, double though. teamed every game, <laughs> and he was freeing other people up. Now they're man on this hat on hat now, bro. Now you gotta earn your living if you're up there on that front, that defensive line for the Dolphins. Stop throwing shade at the Finns, man. They're in for a rough year. Leave yeah, them alone. Yeah, you guys just go eat your tasty cakes and your, <laughs> all right, your sour candy. gummy bears. Yeah. All right, that's all for socially relevant. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Canel and Bell. Coming up next, Danny and Raj are going to break down today's leftovers. All this and more after the break. You're watching Off the Bench. Welcome back to Off the Bench. Let's get to some leftovers, some stuff we didn't get to get to throughout the show. Um, we both, like, started sports probably to be the star, right? Like, you want to be the best player on the team, right? Yeah. Like, you want, like, that's, I think that's why natural. Yeah, you I mean, want to be the best guy to out win, there. To win, to win. Yeah, to, I mean, win. to win. Well, yeah, too. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's a good point. That's a fair point. There's a difference in our career. <laughs> I want to do it to get the cheerleader. <laughs> but that being said, so we all want to be the guy. The guy, yeah, sure. You know what's not a bad fallback plan? To be the guy's boy. The guy. Like, it be the guy's. The guy of the guy? Yes. Yeah. So, like, you could be, like, turtle to Vince. Like, it's it's what's going on. So, the Toronto Raptors, they've had, you know, obviously made the trade for Kawhi Leonard. They've hired his childhood friend as an assistant coach. So, they've hired one Jeremy Castleberry. He's a former Spurs staffer. They bring him on and say, you know what? We'll bring him with us. He played with him in high school and at San Diego State. They yep. go back. It's his, it's his dude. Boom. It's what you do. You're trying to keep Kawhi Leonard. That's how you handle it. More and more so now in the NBA. That's how guys, they make sure that they know the, like Kawhi's, the LeBron's, the Paul George's. To make, the franchise make sure that those guys understand we'll do whatever it takes to keep you around. We will make these surroundings, you know, as friendly as we can for you. Look, LeBron came in when I was with the Cavs. Damon Jones, who played in the NBA, was LeBron's guy. He showed up at practice one day. I said to David Griffin, what the, why is Damon Jones here? Like, Damon's not on the roster. Like, well, he came with LeBron. Like, four weeks later, probably more like six weeks later, Damon Jones was on staff as a de- player development guy in the D-League. Three weeks after that, Damon Jones was on staff with Cleveland Cavaliers traveling on road trips, bro. Like, they do that. They w- want to make an investment in showing Danny Cannell and LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard that we'll do whatever it takes to keep you in this town. Don't you think that could present some problems, though? Like, oh, what? Because, like, this is your guy. Like, he's going to be your sounding board. Like, if you're not happy, you're going to go to Listen, him. Like, it's, it there was nothing, like, it could be a problem. There was nothing that I could do about it. And I like Damon Jones and I like LeBron's whole camp. So it wasn't like I would be beefing. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, damn. Like, yeah, that could create a whole lot of issues, um, when you're hiring guys like that. But it depends on, you know, kind of what positions you have them in. Uh, but Toronto clearly making a push to keep Kawhi and the Rams. 
right? Yeah. The Rams, the LA Rams clearly not making a push to keep Aaron Donald as they've inked another extension, <laughs> offensive lineman David Havenstein to a four-year $32.5 million deal. And Aaron damn Donald, the defensive player of the year, is still not in camp. All right. I bet our host here at CBS Sports HQ on the set, Chris Hassel, I bet him that, that Aaron Donald would get signed an extension before week one. Okay. I'm staying with that. Do you want to take that bet? What was the Because yeah. here's my thinking. There's no way you can keep throwing this money around to everybody else and not take care of your best player who's already been disgruntled, who already missed a game last year. This has to be, especially when you see extensions, they're moving money around. They're creating space to sign Aaron Donald. That has to be what's going on because you literally cannot go around and get Brandon Cook's money, Todd Gurley money, uh this the offensive lineman Havenstein money. You signed Sue in the offseason to a 14 million one dollar uh one year deal. You can't be throwing money all around and not give it to your best player, possibly the best player in the in No, it's good for your team ball. not Havenstein, having Donald. Get him <laughs> right. back in camp. But so what your pursuit like He's getting fined every day he's not at camp, right? Right. They'll, that'll be a wash. They'll like, wa- yeah. There's All already an agreement guys. in place. Yeah. Like, so they've called him and said, listen, bro, don't trip when you see me giving the contract here, here, and here. Right. We're, so they're on good terms is what you're saying, and this deal's going to be done. I think they're on good terms. I think everything you've heard from Les Need, their general manager, says we're working something out. It's more of the finer. And I'm sure it's the guaranteed money. It's the, you know, the length of the contract. They're, they're working out the details. But to your point, they will not fight him. What's more interesting was going on Khalil Mack with the Raiders because this one seems contentious in the Raiders. Yeah. And he is getting fined, and I don't know what they're going to do if he comes back. Typically, with a player of that magnitude, everybody kind of just forgets about it. Right. Like, I don't think I'm right, 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 right. like, yeah, we're going to hammer him. Because if you would, if you find uh, Khalil Mack a million point, whatever his money is, he's going to be like, forget it, I'll just sit out the whole sit year. Sit out the whole year. Like, you have point. to work out some sort of an agreement. Uh, the Super Bowl was insane. There was a great story with Nick Foles coming off the, you know, uh, Coming off the bench, you know, late in the season to get the Super sure. Bowl MVP. There was the Philly special, which was an incredible play call from Doug Peterson. And he actually talked about why he was aggressive in his new book. Um, so he put out his book, Fearless. And he talked about how he was watching the Jags-Pats game, which if you remember, the Jags were up 14-3. to They looked like they were on their way to the Super Bowl. They got so conservative in the second half. And if you do that against Tom Brady... You're going to get beat. And so Doug Peterson had in his mind, you know what? We are going to be aggressive. He said he was watching it. He was literally screaming at his TV in the office because they took the knee right before halftime. He said, I'll never do that. It fueled me. And good for him for staying aggressive because it won in the Super Bowl. Yep, the aggressiveness won. I remember literally that. I tweeted something out at that 14-3 moment when they did that. I said, that tells you what the Jags think of Blake Bortles. And it was an indictment on him because I think there were 53 seconds or 55 seconds left in the first half. Yeah. And they took a knee twice and took it to halftime. Be greedy. That's an eternity. They had timeouts left and they, they just, they got too conservative with Bortles. You see that in sports all the time, man. It happens at every level. Um, you know, especially in games where the team that's winning is the underdog and they're, they look up and they're winning and they're like, Oh my God, we're, we're winning. Now let's protect it. But what got you there in the first place was like throwing caution to the wind and just being super aggressive, right? Like you're just out there letting it all hang out. And so it's completely contradictory to come out now and try to be reserved and, and, and protect it. And usually the better team comes back and beats you in that scenario. So right. I, it is like a pet peeve of mine at every level, youth level, you know, junior high, high school dude. If you're out there, Beating somebody into the ground, just finish the job. Don't yes. don't check it it's, up. I think the hardest place to pr- play from in sports is when you have a lead. Yeah, because it's a tricky dynamic because you don't want to lose, but the minute you sit on it and you get conservative, you're done. 
Like, cause you, and you have to go for the jugular. The good teams, the great teams I ever played, like Mike Shanahan was a great coach. Won two Super Bowls with the uh, Broncos. He would go for the jugular. Right. Didn't matter, you're up 14, it's like, we're gonna go up 21. And you went out there, and there was, there, but it was kind of a controlled aggression. Like, sure. you weren't gonna get reckless, you weren't gonna go for it on fourth down, but you were going to take, you know, controlled aggression was kind of what I called it. Yeah. And that's what you have to do when you're playing with the league. The minute you start thinking, I don't wanna lose, I don't wanna lose, you're gonna get beat. Absolutely. Awful Absolutely. So let's talk about John Ryan, who got cut from the Seahawks. It's months after telling the GM he'd look dumb for drafting a punter. Um, so when Seattle drafted a punter in the fifth round this year, Ryan told John Schneider, uh, if you let me, I'm going to compete my ass off harder than you've ever seen. I love you. I have so much respect for you. But one way or the other, I'm going to make you look really dumb. Uh, they just cut him the other day. <laughs> they did. I, I, another segment I did, I think it might have been on the pod. I was like, punters should not be talking. You That's, don't go out there and talk trash. See, not heard, right? Exactly. You do not want to go out there because you're going to look foolish, especially during the draft when you go up to somebody and say, hey, you're, you're going to regret this. A fifth-round pick should have told John Runyon the writing was on the wall. You're, you're done. Like right. You're done with our team because if that's a wasted pick, and you're not going to waste a pick on a punter unless he's guaranteed to make the roster. Now, it, was, it got kind of weird because the Seattle... Like when I saw the tweet put out, the Seahawks put out a tweet and it like thanked Ryan for his time. It was like, you know, what a great career. Thanks for all your service. I thought he retired because they, here they are, they cut him. And that's like, usually you don't see that. Like, and then maybe it's a cap thing and they're saying, Hey, we're getting younger, which the Seahawks clearly are. Yeah. But it was, you know, it's one of those circumstances. I have no real beef with kickers or I hadn't had any real beef with kickers <laughs> until no my son's playing Pop Warner now. They switch leagues. So there's a minimum play rule. Um, they're 11. So they've kept the kicker on this team. Now their team could win a Super Bowl. There are a lot of older lighters on the team. They've elected to keep this kicker who makes probably one out of every seven, uh, extra point opportunities. They're, they're worth two points, right? It's not like right. he's like striping it. This isn't money in the bank. It's one out of every two. So what he, one out of every seven. So he comes to practice. Not only does he have to kick the field goals or the, yeah, but you only get like four of those a game. So you gotta get him on the field for six other plays in live game situations because there are no real kickoffs at this age. Right. Um, he doesn't do anything at practice except stand on the sideline and kick balls. Right. His dad's out there kicking with them all practice. He don't make but one out of seven and then he ain't got to practice. Like what, what Trust is that? Me. It is the same at 12 and under. It's the same in high school. It's the same in college and it's the same in the NFL. Every single player on the roster is saying, why aren't these dudes out here with us? Bro. Like make them do something worth value. There, we used to have the, uh, Brad D'Aloiso was our, our, our kicker with the New York Giants. Yeah. He and, uh, I think it was Brad Maynard, the, the punter. They used to go play cards <laughs> and they would be laughing about it. They'd have a book. They'd carry around a novel and they'd be reading because they were bored all day while they didn't have to be at practice. They yeah. were all in meetings grinding away and they're in there reading their novels to try to get caught up on their summer reading books. Yeah. I could not stand it. Every NFL player looks at him as like, Ugh. but then you know what? You gotta rely on him for a win. Win your game. Like, and that's the, that's well, the worst case situation. I hope this game. kid, I hope this kid wins us a game or two. He's seen, <laughs> him and his dad are cool, but it just bothers I me. He put his stats out on black. Yeah. <laughs> he makes one of seven. The kid's confident. No names, no names. He's this. anonymous. Um, so the Knicks fan, there's a Knicks fan out there. The Knicks fans have been just, it's been a rough They feel bad for Knicks. Right? Yeah. Some of them have threatened, you know, I'm not going to root for him anymore. There is actually a fan who put his fandom up for sale. It's interesting. On eBay. I didn't yeah. know you could do this. So he supported the team for 33 years. Uh, it's up to $1,973. Right. So he's got a weird list of requests that he attached to the fandom. Yeah. He said he'll root for this team wholeheartedly. He'll bet $500 on their team over wins, whatever it is. Uh, they'll buy, he'll buy the NBA package to, uh, to watch every game. Buy two different player jerseys. This guy's a nut fan. Like, I think if you're a so team in the, you, in you the NBA. You want him. 
I think I think a team should bid on this. Yeah, they that's what I'm saying. Embrace it. Make him like the team mascot. Absolutely, dude. You know who should get him? Brooklyn. Yeah. <laughs> right there in their own backyard. Exactly. That's what you need to do is start scooping Knicks fans because right. New York is like, like they are Knicks fans. Like you have like this niche um, uh, fandom for the Brooklyn Nets there in in New York. But make no mistakes. Like you're talking about New York, the surrounding tribe. What do they call it? Tribe borough or whatever it is. Yeah. All the way out on Long Island. Like all Connecticut. Like all those people are Knicks fans. Brooklyn, make a bid on this cat right now. Go ahead and scoop you one. You know what we should do? We should get a GoFundMe started or a Kickstarter. Get him to be and our have fan. Him be our fan. There you go. And then he doesn't get an NBA <laughs> franchise. He has to watch every episode. If he said he was going to get the package, yeah, he should have to watch every episode and tweet like about it. it live. Like that would be worth it, right? Yeah, I like it. All right, I think we should do that. We should get into that. We'll see if we can start a kickfund or raise any money. Uh, tomorrow we got Kyle Porter. He's going to join us. We're going to break down the FedEx Cup playoff. Yep. Tiger. We'll see if he can uh, keep it going. And uh, I think it's 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 got the week off. You feeling optimistic about your boy? I'm feeling pretty good. Pretty Pretty, pretty good. <laughs> All right, sounds good. We'll be back tomorrow.